0: um i did i forgot to mention uh when you have a uh when you have time shoot me uh your favorite childhood photo
1: oh right on so sure. this is
0: the the so i have like the comedy podcast that we do mm-hmm. um which is with myself and alex Petra and the other gal and it, that's more comedy centered bits and whatnot sure. this is more the interview style where I do a deep dive on you.
1: Right. On. Okay.
0: So I hope ready. you're ready.
1: Yeah. No, no, no. Well, <laughs> well uh, I had one of those childhoods where my earliest childhood photo was me at 17. So if you're like, hey. A hundred percent, dude. <laughs> yeah. No, no. I do have a couple of like decent baby photos. Um, but uh, yeah, usually in the background, you just see like Bud Light cans and. You know, a bunch of (laughs) empty ashtrays, you know? So I knew knew that this
0: was the one that you needed to be on. Yeah, right. Very excited. Yeah, Yeah. I'm gonna do like a little intro and, oh, right on. Cool. and then and then I'll introduce you.
1: Right on. Perfect.
0: It's Pavich, right?
1: Uh Pavich. Pa- like, like a bear paw. Yeah. Everybody Pa-vitch. screws it up, and especially when you're going on stage. In fact, um, It's
0: our Midwestern. We're like
1: Pavich. Yeah, that, yeah, well, I don't know if you heard on Saturday, Chicky was just like Rudy Pavich. I was like, dude, you couldn't get more Minnesotan than that. It's so Minnesotan. I had a guy one time he said to me, uh, he goes, uh, what's your name again? I mean, like literally seconds before I get up on stage, host comes up, he goes, what's your name again? I said, Rudy Pavich. He's like, great. I mean, he literally like runs up to the stage. He's like, all right, ladies and gentlemen, your next comment, give it up for Rudy Popovich. I was like, not anywhere near, but you know, whatever, fuck it. It doesn't matter. Cause <sighs> the people in the crowd don't care. You're just another face. Yeah. They don't know your name. They're not there to see you. They're there to see a comedian. So, right, 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 right. Yeah.
0: That's funny. You know what? Fuck it. I was going to do an intro, but I'm just stoked that you're here. Okay, so to to let listeners know, I know a lot of the stuff that we've covered so far has been kind of heavy uh, because I'm so focused on... So I've been sober for a little over 18 months now.
1: Oh, good for you, man. Thank you. Good for you.
0: And um, so sobriety and mental health, trauma stuff, those are all like... Things that are super (laughs) important to me. I will let the listeners know we are dog positive show. So I'm leaving the door open so these pooches can
1: come in and out as they please. Yeah,
0: Paul is cute as fuck.
1: Thank you, man. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he definitely takes after his mom's side because that is yeah. He's uh. He's great. As you can see, if anybody is like looking in the sees him in the camera or something, dude, he's I always say he forgot to do leg day. Because that is a dog that is so top heavy, dude. He is so top heavy. But
0: So Rudy um, Pagoyovich, thank pa- you for doing this.
1: Thank you so much. <laughs> Appreciate it. You were so close. Yeah. Now, usually when people screw it up, I just keep moving. I'm like, all right, just yeah, Pavich, Povich. I get a lot of the just because Maury Povich was such a big name for so long. Oh, wow, that's fine. I get the Rudy, Rudy Povich, you can hear my dog just completely, yeah. <laughs> come here, dude, come here, buddy. Now he's like, of course, he's like, Chris is petting me, so I'm not going anywhere. I was going to say hanging. that, and yeah. he's probably stuck. Yeah. Because if he's
0: like my dog, backing up is not the easiest thing. No, you're right, man. Plus, you know, like
1: bulldogs <laughs> like that, dude. They, I don't know if you noticed, uh, not great at yoga. <laughs> they are, <laughs> it's just like a very unmalleable dog. So,
0: so, Rudy and I met uh, at a show for Ali Sultan, um, Ali and Friends, which was super fun. Um, Ali always puts on such a good show. He picks great, like just the most fun people to be around. And after you got off stage, because I saw you unloading your gear initially, because like, I got there a little early and I was like, cool. Um, but then after you got off stage, I was like, this, I feel, I feel connection. This man, I'm going to make out with him before he leaves. Oh,
1: please do. Next time. Yeah. Now that I know (laughs) it's on the horizon. Excellent. We're going to do shows every week.
0: (laughs) Um, But there was just, yeah, I could sense something and maybe it's because we're similar height. What are you yeah. five
1: seven yeah I, I, on a good day, yeah, <laughs> on a great day, I know, yeah, it makes it tough for dating, but uh, but yeah, there is something about like short guys sort of do stick together, man <laughs> I, yeah, the only people that know the plight of the short guy is the tall woman, <laughs> so it's like we can all hang because we kind of like have to live in that world where people look at our height as a i don't want to say like a negative, but they look at it at like it. it th- in their mind, height defines that person. Yeah. and I, For whatever reason, and I've never really cared about it. When I was a kid, I kind of got a little, you know, perturbed. But now that I'm 40, I'm just like, whatever, You're dude. 40? Yeah, I'll be 41 coming up uh, in September. Like, God, like, I don't know, a couple weeks away.
0: Man, I have so. got a lot of work to do.
1: <laughs> if- <laughs> and it's funny because somebody one night goes, uh, you're 40? I was like, yeah. And he goes, uh, God, I thought you would have been like 20. And I was like, stop. whatever the next number you were going to say even if it's nine 29 that's still a a compliment i know and i think about it like i know like at 40 like because i remember what 40 year olds used to look like when we were kids yeah and that was rough goes i didn't realize this jennifer coolidge when she did american pie was 36 stifler's mom was 36 years old in that movie And you think about it, like she was a bombshell, but she looked like she was in her 50s. Yes. And still, like now, I think she's almost in her 60s or maybe just turned 60. And she still looks that same exact age where, like, back in the day, people just grew up so fast where now we're staying so young. And I'm looking at dudes like 72 years old. Like, my uh, brother in law's uh, stepdad is 72 and he does like an Iron Man once every three months. Dudes like super cut up and looks great. I mean, back in our day, it was like, "Oh my God, you're forty, you're <laughs> alone, you're gonna die. What are you gonna do? You never live life. Oh my God, do you hate people or something?" Like, I always laugh. I'm like, "Think of what I would have looked like if I took care of myself for twenty years, <laughs> not drank and like acted like an idiot for all those years." You know?
0: You remember so, uh, Stephen Wright, that comedian? Stephen Wright. Okay, yes. so um, somebody was talking about one of the the bits that he did that. Um, Oh, who's our our Minnesota hero?
1: Al Franken, uh, Louis Anderson,
0: not Louis Anderson, Mitch Hedberg.
1: Oh, Mitch Hedberg, there you go.
0: Yeah. Uh, so Mitch Hedberg stole one of Steven's bits, apparently, and I was like, God, I wonder what Stephen looks like now. And I found out that he's in his seventies he looks exactly the same yeah and you're like how the fuck did he do that
1: yeah yeah when you see his, him on the cover of i have a pony and then the next <laughs> album i still have a pony and then you look at him today and you're like this person has not changed not one bit <laughs>
0: yeah that's like steve Martin's pretty much huh oh,
1: oh we'll take him out to the bathroom yeah oh yeah don't that's worry a, about yeah, that's that That's really nice of you to ask they went potty before we yeah. started
0: yep they'll be okay
1: yeah you have the sweetest children by the way oh. They are the sweetest
0: they're 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 very good
1: yeah dude I mean that's such a test and they're really funny are they really yeah good that's I think that's like such a thing that parents don't um we look at like funny kids sometimes and maybe when we were kids we were told to like you know shut the fuck up but yeah. I think nowadays we look at kids and we have realized oh if we take that humor and we develop it like it will not only maybe they don't become comedians but maybe they become um, better socially and it helps yes. them down the road with jobs. But you know, whatever funny, it might be.
0: I think like a huge thing, like my, my, my brothers are also hilarious. Like my dad is absolutely hilarious. It's funny because he's a terrible joke writer, mm-hmm. but the way that he interacts with people is just absolutely hilarious.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, like he taught me, um, how to like an icebreaker. Rather than like, what do you do for work? You just guess what they do. So when I used to shoot weddings and to fuck with people, somebody would be like, yeah, this is my, my maid of honor. I'd be like, oh, are you the UFC trainer? I just want to say, <laughs> such a hard job. So you do shit like that just to fuck with people.
1: Uh, I wasn't going to say anything, but your ear looks a little swollen to the side. <laughs> you know? like, I mean, I'm just saying, man. That's what made me think that you were the UFC trainer. I'm really sorry. You know?
0: Either you're Eastern Bloc... And you escaped some <laughs> war or you're a UFC trainer. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah, like the sincerely wanting to make someone more comfortable, I think, like gives you the propensity to be funnier too. Yeah. Because you think about comics, we want, we want you to feel relaxed because if you're nervous about what I'm going to say or this or that, like you're not going to have that great of a time. So the sooner we can get you to let your guard down. So I think with them, with my kids, they saw that so quickly. Yeah. And, and for me, it might be a little more aggressive than my dad would do it because I'm, I, I love laughter too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they catch on because like my son's name is Landon. And I call him Brandon. And so when we would have guests over, I would introduce uh, people to him. As Brandon. I'd be like, this is my son, Brandon. And he was like, so from the age of six or seven, he was already in on the joke. And he's just like, okay.
1: Oh, yeah. gotcha.'" got you. So yep.
0: he has good dry humor and like won't break character stuff. Mm-hmm. It's very funny.
1: Yeah. But has he ever just like reached his hand over and been like, actually, Brandon was my twin that died. I'm Landon. Nice <laughs> to meet you. Thank you very
0: much, dad. I, I don't know if you heard my bit about when he was five, but that whole Burger King thing. Uh,
1: uh, yeah. I kind of remember something about it. Yeah.
0: So that was, that was a real story. And like one of the proudest moments of my life.
1: Oh yeah. The kid sticks his head through and was like, is, is Brandon here? Like that whole thing was that, was no, it?
0: So he, okay. So we're at Chick-fil-A and our little family's there and it's just a mom and her daughter. And the mom was like constantly checking on her kid and the kid eventually stopped responding because it was just getting too annoying. And uh, so the kid's not responding and Landon poked his head. He was five, Pokes his head in the bubble, <laughs> looks at this complete stranger and goes, oh, Lydia's dead. <laughs> so he says it. I obviously know he's joking. So I fall out of my chair. My wife is like kicking me while I'm on the ground. Oh, yeah.
1: Moms are mortified. Dads think this is the funniest thing ever. It
0: was. Oh, my God. It was so funny. So my wife is kicking me while I'm on the ground. The mom dives in there, uh, finds her kid and runs out of the building.
1: God, that's But I called
0: my parents immediately after and was like, guys, you're never going to believe this. But the best thing ever happened. Yeah. And we were all so proud.
1: Yeah, and it's funny when like you tell that to other parents, and like they don't get the humor. And you're like, "What do you? How don't you find this to be funny?" What, yeah, what, like, what kind of militant household do you run? God, let your kids have fun.
0: I have told it to one person, and they went like, "I said that," and they go, "Oh no!" I was like, "No, no, no." I think, <laughs> let me tell it again. Maybe yeah. I didn't tell it right yeah. because it's the best thing ever. Yeah,
1: totally. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's great when like, especially they start to get to that age when you can kind of joke with them and they can kind of go back and forth instead of them just doing or saying something funny and you reacting. You can kind of go back and forth. Like uh, I think about uh, my daughter one time we were driving and I was doing a a theater production and I don't do a lot of theater. I do it like once every like three years just to kind of get it out of my system because Mm -hmm. theater is very intensive and it is like a ton of work and I don't want to memorize all that much. I mean to do an entire play, dude, I mean it's, Oh, it's so taxing. And we're driving to rehearsal, and I'm in the car, and I'm doing the me, 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 me. na <laughs> na 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 na, And she, my daughter goes, um, uh, do you do that every day? I said, yeah, I do it every day. She goes, why? I said, well, sweetie, you got to practice, right? Like, that's how you get better at things. I mean, you have to practice every day. I mean, you practice gymnastics every day, right? Don't you? You do it to get better. And she kind of pauses for a second then turns and goes, yeah, but I get better at gymnastics, <laughs> and I'm like, God, like, that's so funny, you know. And I knew what, she knew what she was doing in that moment to sort of, uh, you know, kind of get under my skin. Yeah. But you know, when they get to that age, when you can sort of have those conversations that's when like being a parent is just like, man, I kind of oh. like people say like the best ages are like when they're just little tiny babies and they got that good little baby smell to them. I'm like, bullshit. The best <laughs> age is when they're 13 Yeah. and you're like, I got to go to target. You want to go? And she's like, no. And you're like, good. I'll be back. You get in the car and you drive. Like that's the best part about being a parent for yeah. sure.
0: It's so. funny. Cause my, my wife is very much like, I can't believe they're getting older. Cause our daughter turns nine tomorrow. And, uh, She's like, "I just you know, they were babies and like yeah, but now they like they can be sarcastic and yeah. yeah. Like it's so funny. I, I mean, I, it's got to look weird to other parents for us to because because they get that we're go- goofing around, we can be like, "God, you suck." Yeah. And like <laughs> and they'll do it back to us and yeah. I, like when I was growing up, if a parent said you suck, there was something wrong at home. But with us, it's like this Jokey. Speaking of shitty childhoods, I'm ready to dive in. So you are from (laughs) the most racist town in all of racism, I think, besides Lynchburg, which is
1: actually named after the worst (laughs) piece of racism ever. Yeah. Yep. Yep. No, but
0: you grew up in, in Hibbing, right?
1: Hibbing. Yeah. Hibbing, Minnesota. It's the same hometown as Bob Dylan's. So imagine my surprise when somebody played him for me and I was like, this guy sucks. I "I hate this music. Oh my God. I have to be from the same hometown. Ugh. Gross. So no, man, I grew up there and you know, there, there are great things about it that like, you know, it's tough to defend it because it's such a shithole. And a lot of the people that are from there are very shitty, (laughs) but there are some really good things that came about. um, Because I, I think, had I not grown up there, I wouldn't have a work ethic like I have now, mm. where it's just like, you just hustle, 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 you know? one. Um, I, I I think about this every now and again, like on them days when I'm just like, God, I don't want to get up. I don't want to do any more work. I'm just so exhausted. But, um, uh, I, I mean, I, I grew up predominantly around white people. It was all whiteies. That's all it was. For as far as the eye could see, it was white people. <laughs> and then- uh, my family owns a, a roofing windows gutters company. up oh. in Northern. Yeah. So like, you know, it was hard work. Right. But we would, uh, you know, day would usually start at 6am, you know, you'd be on the job site, prepped, ready to go. It'd be like six 30 and you'd be up on a roof and you'd be tearing off shingles. And one of my last summers working for the company, there was a, uh, there was a uh, Spanish family that had moved in. I'm not sure exactly where they were from. We didn't, you know, and they didn't have any like school-aged kids. Oh, okay. Because in a town like that, when a minority moves to town, you know who they are, <laughs> what they're about, why they're there. Um, but uh, I didn't. They didn't have any like high school-aged kids. It was just a family of like five or six, and they also were roofers and put in windows and did gutters. And that summer when we first started, my grandfather, we showed up to a job site, and it was six thirty, quarter to seven and about nine houses down, there was that family who had already, I mean, they were halfway through the roof, and it was already, it was only like 7 a.m., and I remember my grandfather kind of like looking around the job site going, let this be a lesson, boys. Tomorrow you will have your asses here by 5.30. Like, you will work <laughs> because, you know, and and I just sort of took it to heart, like, oh, man, like, that's really what it takes. Is I mean, that's really what it's all about is, is you know, Trying to outwork, not outwork, because I think outwork is a bad uh, term, but uh, pushing yourself. Yeah. And finding things that motivate you for whatever reason. I don't think my grandfather did it because, you know, there was people that looked different than him. I think he was just like, hey, man, we've had a stranglehold on this market in this small town for 40-some, 50-some years, and now we're seeing people that are working faster and longer and earlier than we are. So everybody get your asses up. So I think living there— Instilled a great work ethic in me. But after that, I think it's, dude, like, I just kind of washed that place. <laughs> I just, there's no reason to go back. It's like, it's a shithole. And I, I feel sorry for, you know, I got friends of mine. We went to high school. And everybody had ambitions about leaving. Mm-hmm. And then I got friends of mine that got a job that summer after we graduated at the local restaurant washing dishes. And fuck if they still ain't there washing those same dishes. Mm. And I'm like, you guys, ah. It's frustrating, yeah. You know, and the hunting and the fishing and the outdoors is great and all that, but I don't know, I'd don't much rather have uh, be raising my daughter in a, a sea of culture yes. than being up north. There's great things about up north, and I don't want to say because it just it just wasn't for us anymore, man. You know.
0: But I think what you're saying there's a good there's a good lesson in that is that up north should remain up north. Oh, for sure. Right? Absolutely. Like it's 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 one of those things where you know, that experience should be, it's really cool to have that as a special thing because there's uh, there's things to be learned, but when it comes to culture, like raising your daughter, like towards the cities or in the cities, um, they're learning things that they're going to use on a daily basis. Whereas there's an escape when you go up north and there's these beautiful things that you can appreciate. Whereas people who live up there it's kind of whatever.
1: Yeah. It is weird that they live in like such a beautiful landscape, but their mindset is so ugly, isn't and, it? It's and they really stay weird. within the same like four blocks. Yeah, man. It's what? weird. Like, even when you drive up there, you know, I mean, it's just like, it's still to this day, Trump flags as far as you can see. <laughs> and you're like, still, guys, we're still hanging on to that? Like, my <laughs> God. You know, although I did drive up there just during the pandemic, and uh, every once in a while, I'll just catch like Duluth news. You know, just because I just want to know what's going on up there. And I they showed this report about people from northern Minnesota who were like, we're tired of these city people coming up here and bringing COVID and blah, blah, blah. It's <laughs> like, oh, God. So I was <laughs> on my way to my cabin, which is kind of like not too far from Bemidji, Minnesota. Okay. And on my way up there, I stop in this small town called um, Emily, which is like a little north of Crosby. It's kind of like central oh, okay. Minnesota. And uh, I stop into this gas station. And I walk in, you know, I'm doing the right thing. I got the mask on. I'm doing exactly what we're supposed to be doing. I walk in, not a mask on anybody. I walk into the bathroom. There's a guy who walks out of the bathroom. No mask, no shoes. (laughs) And I'm like... No more are these people from up north complaining about city people bringing COVID up here, man. The information is out, my friend. Like, we all know that you're supposed to at least somewhat try to protect yourselves. So you can't get on channel six just going, these goddamn city, it's like, no, it doesn't work that way, dude. I was so I, I just left it. I'm like, oh, I gotta I gotta wash. I need to like I need a shower so bad. No shoes in the bathroom. Also, no shoes has been around for for decades. Yes, no shoes, no shirt, no service. So why don't you no mask either. Oh my god! I was just like, I can't even believe they allow this here. And it wasn't like some wayward local gas station. It was a, it was a holiday. You know, it was like one of the biggest chain gas stations on the planet. You can't make your constituents wear shoes when they walk in. Oh, I was so disgusted. So, yeah, but there's things about it that I dig. I still like going up there and like you know, for the most part though, I, I just always just turn away from it. It's, ugh, it's, I don't.
0: So I'm, um, so I'm curious though, because, so part of the show is that we have people bring uh, like their favorite childhood photo. And you had mentioned that your childhood photos start at 17. Yeah.
1: I so, yeah, that's where most of them start. I mean, I got a few like as a baby, but you know, that like in between man, like is.
0: So like, do you have brothers and sisters?
1: Yeah. So crazy story about that. So, uh, up until I, I had I'll start from the beginning. So my sister and I, my sister's a little bit older than me, about a year and a half. And then when my, when after I was born after about a year, my dad split. Um, there's a documentary about it. Uh, I made a documentary a few years ago. It's called Dear Walt. It's on, it's on, you know, it's on our website. It's just called dearwaltmovie.com if you wow. want to check it out. Um, but when I was like 11 or 12, I had met my dad's side of the family who were, Like I didn't really know him. I knew I had like one uncle that I kind of ran into every once in a while, and a couple cousins. But that was, but that was it. But then I met like my dad's like real side of the family, like his sister and his nephew, and this kid named Lucas. And I remember we were playing the first time I had met him, and he had mentioned to me that his mom said, "Hey, your dad had a baby before you were born, and then gave it up for adoption." And I was like, well, that's kind of crazy. So we kind of always had these like rumblings, like these rumors about my dad having a baby and giving it up. So, you know, years later when I'm in my 30s, I make this documentary about my dad and I sit him down and we start having this conversation and I ask him, I'm like, hey man, so do I have a brother out there? And he went, yeah, yeah. When I was 17, I had a baby with this woman from Duluth and, you know, she was going to some like military school. And, you know, my dad's like a, you know, kind of a junkie. And he was like, we just didn't think we'd be good parents, so we just gave the baby up for adoption. And about three years after the documentary came out, I got a uh, email from just this random dude, and it just said, hey, man, um, I watched your documentary, and I'm just emailing you to let you know that I'm the baby that your dad gave up. I'm your brother. So this, this guy named Scott, who we had My dad had thought that when he gave the baby up for adoption the baby ended up in Texas, but lo and behold, my half brother Scott, who I was just going to be meeting for the first time in my 30s, grew up 20 minutes away from us.
0: Whoa! He, he grew
1: up in a city called Eveleth, um, which is on the Iron Range up north, and that's like 20 miles away from Hibbing. So crazy that he lived there. For, I mean, I'm sure we probably went to like the same street dances, and we went to the same, you know probably the big football games or whatever it wow. was. The, the big hockey I'm sure we've all like been in the same room together at some point and just never knew it, you know? So I meet my I meet my half brother when I am thirty I don't know, thirty-six somewhere in there, I think. And then uh, my mom had remarried a couple of different times. And I got a few stepbrothers. I got my stepbrother Andy, my stepbrother Ben I also have a stepsister named Carrie. And then I have my my real sister, my full sister, Jen. I have my half-brother, Scott. Now remind you, up until like the <laughs> age of like 30, or up until like my stepbrothers and my stepsister came into my life when I was about 17, 18. And then um uh my half-brother shows up when I'm in my 30s, and after my we meet my stepbrother, I'm like We should probably take one of them DNA tests, you know, just to make sure there's no more of us floating around out there. So I go to ancestry.com, I take a test, it comes back that I have no more relatives. And that's, I'm like, all right, great. Fast forward to about two months ago, I get an email. It says, Hi, my name is Aubrey. I just took an ancestry.com test. It says you and I are related. I'm looking for my dad. His name is Walter Johnson. And I'm like, oh my God. So I get, on, I get on an email with this gal and all I know is that it says, Ancestry says that we're cousins, right? Okay. <laughs> and, I, and so I call her and where my dad had, when my dad left our family, he had gone out to Denver in like, it was like, you know, 80, whatever it was, 83, 84 he left there in like 1991, 92, and just showed up back at his brother's doorstep in northern Minnesota, just like unannounced. Just shows up. He's got a bag of clothes with him. How the hell he got there, nobody knows. <laughs> so he shows up and he uh, doesn't explain why he's there. Well, I asked this girl. I was like, "So what's the deal? Like, how how do you get you know your dad? This guy's name." And she goes, well, my my mom is bipolar schizophrenic, and she told my grandmother that, you know, my my dad's name is Walter Johnson. And when she came to him and said, hey, I'm pregnant, he was denying it was his, it was all this shit. Mm -hmm. So so finally when the baby's born, you know, what Aubrey is telling me is that her mom is like going to him going, hey, you got to pay for some diapers, you got to pay for some formula, So he just, like, packs up and moves back to Northern Uh. Minnesota. And I'm like, well, what year was that? And she was like, "It was like I was born in 91. And I'm like, well, that totally makes sense because my dad (laughs) came back here in 91, 92. So now we're starting to put the pieces together. At the time, I didn't feel – just because, like, I've been a, you know, radio producer for so long, there's kind of, like, this unwritten rule about – you don't discredit people's information that they already have, but you also don't give them more information than they already have until you have all the information. Oh, because what you w- never want to have happen is you never want to have um, you say this is this is actually what it is. You know, it, this is my dad, and you go, this is your dad, and then we get to do a DNA test, and it comes back that it's oh. not. So. In the meantime, she thinks her and I are cousins, and that's as far as it goes. And I'm like, we're just going to keep it like that for a while, because I don't want to give you erroneous information. <laughs> so I go and I talk to my dad. I, have to, I mean, I, have to, I mean, it's, it's weeks for me to track him down. He's, it's, he has no phone. He has no Facebook. He has no internet, nothing, right? You can't find this guy. He's like a ghost. I finally track his ass down. It's like 9 o'clock in the morning. I show up to his apartment. He's there. He's four beers into the day. And I sit him him down, and I'm like, hey, let me ask you about this girl from Denver. And I can't remember Aubrey's mom's name. And the second I said this girl's name, he was like, oh, the black girl? And I was like, yep. I was like, oh, damn it. I was like, dude. I was like, did this woman at some point ever say that she was pregnant? Yeah, but you know, man, like people were doing crazy stuff back then. She said it was mine, but I don't know. I don't think it was mine. And I'm like, oh my god. I'm like, oh. So I, I tell him, I'm like, dude, we got to do a DNA test. And he's like, oh, I don't. Oh, it's not. I don't know, man. We'll see. So finally my dad's brother convinces him to do the DNA test and it comes back positive that he is her dad you know so we just kind of had this like nice big zoom meeting the other day between um this myself. just happened just happened like weeks ago like, oh 2 my 3 God. weeks ago yeah so um but yeah man um but she is uh, her, her name's Aubrey she lives in Denver she's still out there uh she's got a, she's got a couple of kids she looks almost identical to my sister, except for Aubrey's black, my sister's white. Okay. They have like this, they have a, my sister and Aubrey both have like a small gap in their teeth. I mean, it is identical. And oh, then if you were wow. to get a micrometer, it would be the <laughs> same exact width between their teeth. Um, she's got like a lot of the same similarities between my, de- and it was like all this crazy shit, man. And it was like, dude, had not we taken that ancestry.com test, this girl would still be out there trying to find her parents. And the sad part is when I told her, about her dad, I said it's not like guys who leave kids are Fortune 500 CEOs or philanthropists. I'm like the guy's a fucking deadbeat, you know. In fact, when we were kids, when I was like I don't know nine or ten, we got a phone call one night from my uh, my ex aunt. Long story, I mean, so many <laughs> fucking weird family things, man. I know it's confusing. I apologize, but my ex aunt calls us and is like, "You guys got to turn on the news." Well, we turn on the news and. The state of Minnesota was trying to shame deadbeat dads into paying child support. Mm-hmm. And so what they were doing was they were taking their names and putting them on the news and releasing their names to um to newspapers. So we're watching the news and they give the list, you know, the top ten dudes who owe the most child support. And there's there's my old man, number one on the list, baby. Oh, like, you know, $40,000 in child support or something like that, you know? So, but obviously we'd never see a dime. A guy couldn't hold down a job, you know? This is, are you the most interesting (laughs) person in
0: Minnesota? (laughs) My God. Yeah, I could listen to this for hours. Oh,
1: th- yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny because for years, man, like I just, I held it all in for so long and I was just so like angry about it. And I, you know, I'm watching like my best friends, like, what do you guys do for Christmas break? They're like, oh, my dad took a skiing and Vail." <laughs> You're like, like, what'd you do? I'm like, um, nothing. Like my stepdad's kind of a dick and my mom's busy working. <laughs> so I just sat at home for two weeks, you know? Um. But, uh, yeah, it is, I don't know, man. Like, I, I look back on all that stuff, and I'm, I'm now in my 40s, and with the technology that we have, you know, the fact that, you know, myself and another filmmaker in town made this documentary about my dad. And then we have a companion piece where we meet my brother for the first time, and we have these awesome Zoom meetings where I tell my sister— Hey, I'm not your cousin. I'm actually your brother. And like watching her, like all that stuff, it's all recorded and it's all it's it's awesome and it's fantastic. And I'm glad that we have all of it. <laughs> I was gonna and say,
0: don't rock back too hard. Yeah, my <laughs> but yeah. last thing
1: I want to do is hear him go yelping. Um, that is so wild. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a, it's crazy, man. And then you know, I I was kind of talking about it one day because I do a daily podcast as well, and it's uh, it's only for like twenty minutes. Every well, uh, day. So,
0: what's your show called?
1: It's called The Long Walk to Cleveland.
0: Long Walk to Cleveland.
1: And I just do it live on Instagram, and then I record it. It's also on, like...
0: That sounds like a movie starring Tom Hanks. Like,
1: Thank you. Yeah. You know, it's funny how that happened was I was at the gym one day, and I was talking to this old guy, and there was a, there was a young kid, you know, a newer kid just getting into the, the gym. And usually when you see somebody who is not knowing what they're doing, you try to help them along a little bit, because that's the right thing to do. You yeah. Know? And there was a kid, I don't even remember what he was doing, but he was doing, he had like a barbell or like a dumbbell on his neck and he was doing this. And I was like, that can't be good for you. And the old guy sitting next to me goes, my God, that it seems like that's so much work for so little in return. And I said, yeah, that's like taking a long walk to Cleveland. And it like, it like the light bulb went off, man. I was like, Oh my God. Like that's the name of the show. (laughs) Long walk to Cleveland. (laughs) You do all this work and it gets you nothing. (laughs) Oh, oh, Paul. Uh Oh, Paul. Oh, is he Oh, (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I was talking about it, and I think there's some people in my family that get, I don't want to say angry, but I think they don't appreciate or they don't agree with the way I handle it, where... I I tape all this stuff. There's a camera with me everywhere I go when I'm doing this stuff. And when I meet my sister for the first time, I will hire a videographer to come with because I want all those memories. I want that stuff. And I think it's a really good thing to share. And somebody who was in the live um, feed of the live Instagram said one day, let your mess be your message. And that like totally resonated with me. I was like, yes, all this stuff that goes on, man. Like we've we've sort of become accustomed to always just like keeping it in and not letting it out. And like, you know, trying to figure out ways of like, especially dudes, like trying to always 1000% be a man. Mm -hmm. And it's like, when I heard that, I was like, that's, 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 yeah, that's the greatest message you could ever give to someone is let your mess be your message. And Maybe it'll help somebody look at cuz I don't look at my dad as a bad person. I think he's a very nice guy. I think he just has a lot of demons and a lot of issues. Yeah. And even though he may have done us wrong in the past, like he's still a human being and I still love him. And I think if telling people that that is a possibility, like that's an actual path you can choose to take with other people that have done you wrong in life, if that helps, you know, a few people down the road, it was worth it with all the video cameras, and it was worth yeah. it with all the, you know, sticking a microphone in people's faces. Like, I, there's some people in my family that get a little perturbed by it, or think you you're only doing it to put it on social media or whatever. And you're like, there's a part of it that's yeah, man. Like, this is my story too, and this is your story, and you should be allowed to do what it, with it what you want. You know, like, yeah. why is that a bad thing? You know, I get that when a couple breaks up. Yes, one person is probably scorned and one person is probably hurt, but the person who is hurt when they start to share their hurt about it, you can't look at that person and go, "You're doing this wrong." You're like, "Well, that person was involved with it too," so.
0: Dude, yeah. I, I could not relate more. Like, I mean, so when I got out of treatment, the the stuff that I learned while I was in there, like the most important thing that I learned was like the subconscious. um, Aspect So the objective aspect of addiction. And I looked at how many, I mean, because I'm there with hundreds of people mm-hmm. and they're all hurting in different ways. And there's so much shame attached to all this stuff.
1: Yeah. Can you say where you went to rehab?
0: It was uh,
1: Hazelden. Oh, so you were like.
0: I got so lucky.
1: Yeah. Wow. It Man, was, that's whew, wow. Okay.
0: I know. Yep. I I couldn't believe that the way that everything happened, it was like. I say that all the time. I'm unbelievably lucky. The support group that I had, the place that I was able to go to, it's just absolutely crazy. Yeah,
1: right on, man. But
0: the um, the the thing that I took notice to was, like I said, all of the feelings and shame and when it comes to searching for your higher power, there's, when you let your higher power down, because uh, relapse, the the percentage of people That make it without relapse. It fluctuates, but it's generally around like five to seven percent, which is insanely low.
1: Wow! Right? I guess I didn't realize that. Yeah. Okay. It's crazy. Yeah. So, when they say relapse, is that like, uh, is does relapse mean anything? Like, even if you had a drink, or is like a relapse like he's been on a weak bender?
0: Right. So relapse. relapse is saying most of the time when you relapse, it's worse than the last thing that you did. No
1: way. Usually.
0: Wow. Um, For some people it's, it's more minor, but um, because of that propensity of shame, most people admit to it. Cause they're like, I have to release this thing and I have to feel shitty. I have to, I don't think you do. Yeah. Like the, I, like I said, I've been sober for 18 months, but that, number doesn't really matter are you sober today then just keep moving forward from there yeah so there's so much shame attached to all this shit so when i got out of treatment um i started a podcast called the not so anonymous alcoholic because great name by the way in in thank you in my circle of friends and family i was the first addict for a lot of people yeah and it's like there's still so much stigma put around that there's a lot of why did you choose to do this and it's like people like when you when you do that the the chance of success for that person is diminished more and more and more cuz mm-hmm. there's this subconscious thing that happens i don't know if you like are have you gone through any of this stuff
1: uh, a little bit, so I, uh, to back up, and uh, I want to get back into your stories because it's, it's so fascinating, not to take away from it, but no, I, did, no, no. I did do a little bit of time doing in meetings, uh, AA meetings, when I was a kid, when I was like 16, 17, um, they were court ordered, but I kind of stuck around with it for a while, but kind of knew in the back of my head, like, you know, I can probably go back to drinking, you know, I mean, <laughs> that thing you tell yourself, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, but I so I know a little bit of it, and I do have an uncle that went through the program and went through the steps and is clean and has been clean now for like 15 years. That's awesome. So, yeah, um, so I know a little bit about it. And I, not to brag, but I have been watching Loudermilk, so I kind of <laughs> know a thing or two about addiction. So, no, but I'm sorry, I keep going, please, yeah.
0: So the, the basic thing that I always tell people is your brain has like a passive survival skills, right? Breathing, blinking, things that you don't think yeah. about, they just happen. Yeah. Um so your your brain uh needed some type of reward system for the extra stuff, going to find water, eating. Uh so that's where dopamine comes in. So your midbrain is what I what I call step 1. Um it's like, okay, we're missing food, we're missing water, whatever. So talk to step two, which is um, the contemplation stage, right? Where you're like, okay, I'm hungry or I need water. What am I going to do about it? And then step three is the action, right? So I've recognized that I'm hungry. I'm going to go to Hardee's and get some garbage there. Um, When you introduce substance for long enough, your dopamine is doubled most of the time. So this, your body on a subconscious level is like wow we are surviving like super fucking good we're mm-hmm. killing it right now so eventually the subconscious part of your brain literally thinks it's a survival skill that you've now acquired adding substance oh, so
1: okay yeah that makes sense yeah yeah
0: so when people are like i didn't even want to drink or i didn't even want to shoot up like they literally didn't there's this subconscious part so when i learned that i was like oh There's no need to add this extra shame on to people because their brain has literally been rewired. Yeah. So I try to tell people that so that they don't feel like, yeah, like, okay, you fucked up, you relapsed, whatever. You got to know that your brain thinks that we're not surviving well enough.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: That's why so many, so many addicts have past trauma or depression, like mental health issues, A lot of them. Um, There's more institutes and treatment centers that are popping up that focus on trauma because it plays such a pivotal role. Yeah. So if a hint of that trauma shows up. That subconscious part of your brain is like, we need the survival juice, so let's fucking figure it out.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know what, man? That that makes sense because I've always thought about that. Because even though, even though I drink, and even though, yes, I have at some point, I'm many, many times have abused alcohol. Um, I'm still really good with it. Like I don't ever get too, you know, I don't get too fucked up. I don't ever like, you know, it's not like I have to leave here today and go have a drink. It's nothing right. like that ever. But I've always thought about those times when it's like I get a phone call from a friend and he's like, hey, man, the Bucks are playing at 6. You want to stop by? It's Tuesday night. And I'm like, yeah, I'll swing on by. But my brain immediately goes, well, what are we going to bring for booze? Mm. And I'm like, I don't even want to drink, but I feel like I have to (laughs) because I'm going to be there and I know he's going to be at home and he's going to have something. So now I got to bring something, you know. But now that you sort of like put it into those terms of like, you know, sometimes the brain is... Saying like, hey, you need to do this. you don't have a choice, you have to it's it's, it's as it's as uh, you know uh, essential as breathing or it, that, now that that really does make a lot of sense. yeah well, and okay. I mean
0: um, with like I mean on on a like a, a lesser scale, people who say like it's five o'clock somewhere or you get in the habit of like, I had a shitty day at work, I need to have a beer. yeah, it's you're not a full-blown addict. But you are doing that to some extent because you're training your brain to say, if I'm feeling really fucking depressed or overworked or whatever, I need a beer to make, to let my body know that we're okay. Yeah. And on a subconscious level, your brain is like, okay, so that's a survival skill.
1: Okay, Yeah. Wow, man. I never ever, I would have never thought of it like that. Yeah. I, and I I, I just thought like, that's what you do. You just you have a bad day and then you drink. But see, <laughs> and
0: then, but then there's people who are like, oh, I'm a piece of shit because I do this thing. Yeah. Like I, I use this as an excuse and why me, like me, 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 me the second that you can figure out that to me when i learned that it felt like i always say like it's now it's like a snow globe on this shelf and it's like i know it's there i know i could shake it up and watch all of this shit fall or i could just be like i need to be careful of this thing yeah. it's fragile there's all this shit that can happen mm-hmm. um but if it does get shaken up or somebody knocks the shelf over it's just shit that happens
1: yeah Phone is
0: too close to the board.
1: Oh, is it? uh, Can you hear it through the? I I always hate that man. Like, I'll be doing something, I'll be having to record something at the house or whatever, and then all of a sudden you're like, mm, yeah, mm, yes. You're like, what? Where is this coming from? Yeah, Yeah,
0: but so so like the so the goal of this podcast too is like sincerity. Sincerity is so fucking important. Mm -hmm. And like you were saying, sharing these stories, that whole mess is your message has been my life for the last I mean 13 years because before that I had a lot of unchecked mental health stuff yeah. that I wasn't bringing to light and when I started the podcast like the shit that my wife and I have been through we would use that to help people I mean like the basic stuff of making sure that you know it's okay to have your dog in here or it's okay to have your car in the driveway like I don't I don't want people to feel ashamed of anything really
1: yeah yep. i know that's so weird man uh that i (laughs) i always i've always sort of been that guy because like when i got here today i was like i will not park in the driveway because my vehicle might be a piece of shit and it might leave a (laughs) giant oil stain and my dog might piss on the floor so we're just gonna leave him in the car which he does he actually really does enjoy being in the car i mean dude like when i was saying it earlier like if you say bye-bye like he will fuck like he goes bananas (laughs) he's like what we're going for a car ride you know like even to the vet like, I'll save, oh, I'm yeah. like, we're going to the vet. And he's like, I don't give a shit, let's go. And he doesn't <laughs> care. Um, but uh, yeah, man, like, I heard something one day that I re- that really sort of, like, stuck to me. And it was, whenever, you know, you're telling somebody a story, you're almost always telling them a story in the light that makes you look the best. Even when you're in the wrong, you're always doing it. And the reason why you do that is because your brain is like, we need to protect the person that we think that person thinks we are, we need to oh, be able wow. to protect that that sort of image. Because even though we're not that person that we are explaining right now, you know, uh, like I went to Trader Joe's and some guy just started screaming at me. for I didn't even do a thing. I was just I was just minding my own business. It was like, no, no, no you were licking bananas and putting them back on the <laughs> shelf. Like obviously, but you left that part out because you didn't want people to think that you're a huge asshole. So you leave that part out. Trying to protect the person that, the image that you think you're giving out to people. Yeah. But really, man, like, you know, speaking of subconscious, people can usually see through all that. And that is the one thing about stand-up that... You know, doing 22 years in radio, it's easy to bullshit. And one of the craziest moments I ever had in radio was when Trump was doing all the fake news stuff. I'm like, that's gar- Like, tr- fake news does not exist. It's so <laughs> lame. It does. I can't believe he'd say all that stuff. And then three minutes later, I'd get on the uh, get on the air and be like, oh, we got a couple of traffic accidents on 94 just outside of Highway 280. Probably have uh, two vehicles pulled off on the right shoulder. Mind I should have that out of there in about the next 10 minutes. There's no accident. <laughs> I'm just making it up because we need to fill 30 seconds to get to the top of the hour. Like, I just need to be able to get to the top of the hour to do the legal IDs so that we can play our spots. None of it, it's all made up. And I'm like, holy shit, I am the media giving out fake media. It all, it's, wow, like that really like kind of blew me away a little bit, man. So, you know, if it's so easy to lie in our jobs and it's so easy to lie you know especially to like the people that we love the most man like i mean just think about what we're doing to the people that we don't really care about
0: oh you man you know i
1: mean the things that we must say or that we've done to like put ourselves on these pedestals to be able to show off and the thing about stand up is when you get in front of people they know right away how authentic you are you can see it man and it's it, even like cheesy jokes like i saw this dude the other night at house of comedy that um all of his jokes were just like it was, it was, I mean, they were like basically taken off a of Laffy Taffy's. Oh, geez. But I'm telling you, the guy crushed because <laughs> it was everything that was in between, his setups, his like, the, his cadence, his interaction with people, the way he held the mic, the way he talked to the audience. I'm like, that is authentic. Like, yes, oh. those, those are super lame jokes, but they are eating this up because- Of how authentic he is with the in between stuff. They love him. Look at him just like taking this crowd and just, he's just like picking them apart, man. Like (laughs) people are like, you know, yelling stuff out and he's having like a quick moment and he's probably got like 500 different comebacks in his head and he's, you know, perfectly placing them to everybody in the crowd. And then he's dropping like a, you know, a silly joke about whatever it might be, you know, uh, about his ex, about his wife, you know. I'm I'm trying to think of some of the jokes at the top of my head he was saying, where I'm like, God, if you were to say that at a cocktail party, people'd be like, oh, God, who's the obnoxious (laughs) asshole? But this guy is crushing. It was so, it was fun to watch, man. So it makes it, it makes it, it it really does make you have to like hone into that. um, If the material that you're going to bring up, uh, if anybody could say it, then you should probably try to figure out something more home. More yeah that's resonates with you and only you yeah. nobody else could say that material, yes, you know? that's
0: like the the number one golden rule, right? Yeah. What's your story what's yeah. yeah 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 i I had this joke that I wrote a couple of years ago uh if if you don't like self deprecating humor, then I'm a piece of shit
1: <laughs> it's great I love it yeah. right
0: like i to me like yeah, it goes back to that whole like saving face for what like yeah. I, I learned like through all of the shit that i've been through like it's way more helpful to be relatable. And i think that's another thing yeah. that with comedy like it's it's so much more enjoyable not just for the audience but for you to like we're all on the same level. I think that feels it's such so speaking of comedy i'm curious as to like um how how did you get into stand up?
1: Uh so I what at the time I was in radio and I don't know if you remember there was a dude by the name of Eric Allen. Ah, uh, it sounds familiar. So Eric Allen was a good friend of mine. We worked at a radio station in Wisconsin, and he came to Minneapolis and started doing stand-up. And when I moved to Minneapolis, uh, I was working at ninety three X, the radio station in town, mm-hmm. and I was, I it was like in my mind, I had this goal of like where I want to be in life, and then I got there and I was like twenty six, and I'm like, well, now what? I thought this was going to be the end of my life. It only took me like seven and a half years to get here. Now what do I do? So I started hanging out with Eric, and uh, Eric was doing stand up, and he was kind of already sort of established at Acme, and. I I had started out, you know, like 13 years ago. This was right when like guys like Brian Miller were just starting to like, you know, like Tommy Ryman was just starting to get like time at Acme.
0: Just found Um, his first bow tie. Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. That's that. In fact, the first picture I ever saw of Tommy, he had a bow tie on and I was like, who the (laughs) fuck is this guy? And Eric's like, oh, you're going to love him. You're going to love him. And then I met him, and I'm like, he's the sweetest guy on the planet. You know, Mary Mack was down there all the time, Tim Harmston. And then there was guys that were doing very well, and I can't remember a lot of their names, but they've all moved on, and nobody does stand up anymore. Do you
0: ever meet Mike Hurley?
1: Uh, I met Mike, but I don't really know him that well. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I started like, you know, 13 years ago, whatever it was. And it was kind of right before my daughter was born. And uh, I had done about a year and a half of stand-up, and it's funny because Shannon Paul, Miss Shannon. Oh, you know yeah, Shannon? yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody knows Miss Shannon in town. She's great. Uh, she always gives me this backhanded compliment of, uh, you finally got funny, and then you quit. <laughs> I'm like, I, I think I know what you're trying to say. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I wasn't for a long time, and then I quit. I appreciate it. Uh, but, then, uh, but then after about, my daughter was about uh, about eight months old, and she developed this condition called tracheal larynx malaysia. Whoa. Where she would just, her trachea would close off and then she would stop breathing. And then turn blue, she'd pass out. And then her brain would like, because it was the lack of oxygen, her brain would make her pass out and then it would like reset itself. And her, her trachea would go to normal and then she could start breathing again. So it took us, after like a few weeks of us realizing that this was not going to be fixed anytime soon because we had been to every doctor and they just couldn't figure it out. It was oh, it was awful, man. We went to, ch- I mean, so many different children's hospitals and ambulance rides, and you know, like it was awful, man. It was, it was, and I'm having to go to work, and I'd call my my daughter's mom and I'd be like, hey, is everything good? And she's like, yeah, we're just hanging out watching TV, like everything's good. I'm like, all right, I'm leaving work right now. I'll be home in twenty minutes, and then I'd you know pull up to our apartment and there'd be an ambulance in the <sighs> driveway. And I'm like in the parking lot, and I'm like, oh, shit, I know what this is for. And I'd run up the stairs, and there'd be paramedics working on my daughter, and I'm like, ah. Oh. So I just thought, all right, man, you got to take six months off of everything, you know? Because I also act, and I also, like, shoot stuff, and mm-hmm. I, I was like, dude, you just need to, like, focus on family. Six months. Well, six months turned into 10 years. Yeah. It's just the way life is. Yeah, just, absolutely. You, once you stop doing something, you just stop <clears throat> doing it. There's, you know, like, you know, taking – I always use this uh, um, analogy about, like, push-ups. If you Mm. do 50 push-ups today and you do it tomorrow and you do it the day after that and you do it every single day, you know, next week and then for a month and a month becomes a year, you can do 50 push-ups a day until the day you die because your body just, like, it gets used to it. It just does it every day. The second you take a day off, you ain't going to hit 50. So the second you stop going to mics, and the second you stop writing, and the second all that goes away, you are going to spend the next ten years going, "Man, I really want to get back into it. I want mm-hmm. to get back into it." And you just, for whatever reason, you just don't. And now, I mean, luckily, my daughter's healthy and everything's fine. It took really? us, yeah, yeah, totally great. I mean, it took us, um, it took us probably about, uh, probably about a year for us to figure out what was up.
0: Okay. And so, what, I mean, what was the remedy? Like, how?
1: Well, they, they thought it was <laughs> epilepsy. They thought it was all these different conditions. Like, they had all these tests, and we were like taking her to all these specialists, and there was like these overnight tests. We had to, oh, it was awful. And they were doing all these. And then finally, I have a picture of her, and uh, she's got on like all these electrodes. I got like a net over her head. She's got like all these things on her, on her head where they're like testing her brain waves yeah. and blah, blah, blah. And, we're at the epilepsy center of children's hospital in St. Paul. And we have this meeting with all these doctors and they're kind of explaining like, well, it might be epilepsy. It might be this, it might be that. And this was like day two of five. And, at this point, this has been a year and I am just like I'm so exhausted. I'm like you guys just please figure out what is wrong with my baby. I don't I don't care how we get there. I'm just tired of like I'm tired of of hospital cafeteria coffee. Oh, I'm tired yeah. of eating out at restaurant. I'm just I'm so done. Can we please just figure this out? And this dude comes walking in. His name is Dr. Carlin. He's still in St. Paul. If you ever have an issue, especially pediatrics, when it is comes to. Is that the
0: doctor that was on Thomas the uh, Train Conductor? <laughs>
1: <laughs> my kid was a. Uh, my kid was like, uh, what do you call it? The uh, Sweet Life in Zach and Cody. So if you want to drop that reference, I would know it. Um, but uh, this doctor, like, he kind of walks in, and I always like, it's it's our house moment, right? You remember that show, House oh, yeah, with you, yeah, Lori? So all these doctors are like, this might be them. We're thinking blah, blah, blah. And this dude is just like sitting in the back of the room, right? And all of a sudden, these cats just get up and they leave the table. And this Dr. Carla walks over and he's like, I know what's wrong with your kid. I was like, you do? He's like, yeah. And he kind of just rolls his eyes at these people. He's like, oh, these <laughs> guys are just morons. So he's like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to try this medication. Since Since she is already hooked up to all this equipment, let's just leave her on. We're just going to make sure. We're already here. No no point in changing that. But she's not on any medications right now. But I got this. I think there's a medication that might work. We're going to try it tonight. We're going to reevaluate in 48 hours. And sure as shit, she took that medicine, and I swear to God, it was a brand new baby. It was like, it took us a year to get here? I mean, we had one doctor. I, I freaked out in St. Louis Park at a hospital there because a doctor had gave... It was so dumb, and I was just like, I can't even believe you have a medical license. Because what... We were finding out was if you remember you know the 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 snot sucker oh, the little yeah, ball yeah, yeah, you know yeah, yeah. Uh, that babies have that if we put one in her mouth and we kind of jarred it in we could maybe get her airways to open up a little bit and she wouldn't pass out but she would gag but at least she would be breathing and when I told this to the doc, I'm like this this is where we're at dude I mean it's been almost a year and the doctor said well I mean if you're finding out that that's working just keep doing that. I was like, just
0: forever for,
1: yeah. To what end? I couldn't believe he said it. Oh, I freaked out. And of course, you know, like my, my, I mean, the
0: fact that you (laughs) had to do that, I'm sorry. I know I was making faces, but it's like, what
1: a fucking nightmare. Yeah. And the fact that you would tell a patient that a, a freaked out set of parents so, of course, you know, my daughter's mom is like, no, just settle down. I'm like, down, fuck this guy. And of course, like, you know, security comes up and I'm like, oh, fuck fucking fuck it. I was off. I felt. Of course, we got in the car. Now I'm like hyperventilating and I'm crying and she's crying and the baby's crying. I'm like, I'm sorry if that had to happen, but I'm just so frustrated. So, yeah, once we finally got her under wraps, I was like, all right, you know, like, I can maybe start like branching. And I did like a couple of like creative things and I was just finding that, Stand up is so time consuming, especially when you're at that level of open mics. Yeah. Where you're going to sit in a bar for two hours yep. on a, At in the evening when your spouse needs you at home taking care of the baby, and you're just sitting there for two hours to get three minutes of stage time. Yes. You know, and you, it, your spouse doesn't understand why you're doing this for no money. So I'm like, all right, we'll take a little bit of time off. And then now that my daughter's 13 and she's hanging out with her friends and she's riding her bike and she's going places, you know, she's doing overnight trips. She was like, you know, you don't need to be here all the time. Like, I can take care of it. And I was like, this is a perfect time. And so I started writing again in, what year would that have been? It would have been 2000, like just at the end of 2019. So like around December.
0: Oh, okay. Around like
1: January, uh, just December.
0: That's so crazy. That's right when my, uh, so I had been running a mic at uh, this place in Monticello called uh, Nordic.
1: Oh, yeah. I know Nordic. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: So that was my mic. Okay. Unfortunately for me, uh, alcoholism in breweries, it's not like the best environment.
1: As they say, <laughs> man, you hang out at a barbershop, eventually you're going to get a haircut. You yes. Know? Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: So that's funny. That's crazy because I think that's the time when I was like, all right, I got I to gotta get away from here.
1: Yeah. Yep.
0: That's yeah, wild. Yeah. You're on your way back in, and I was like...
1: Froop. Yeah, we're popping <laughs> out. I, to- I totally get it, man. I 1,000% get it. Um, so, yeah, I started writing and then had my first show back, and that was March March 14th of 2020. And then the next day, the world shut down. I was going to say. Yeah. I was like, all right, well, that's a sign. <laughs> Which was kind of nice because that first like go around, that first time up on stage... Um, it was like it was all brand new material but it was like it really wasn't flushed out yet i hadn't done any mics i was just going up there with just like well this is just what i've been doing in my living room so hopefully it works <laughs> you know you're just like we'll see what happens and it it did fine like it was okay like you know it wasn't anything you know i was taking jokes that i had done from 12, 15 years ago, and just having to like rewrite them a little bit to make them more modern, mm-hmm. but uh, but it did fine. It was all right. But then the next day, the world shut down. I was like, "All right, this is perfect because now I can just write and write and write and write." And then Zoom shows started coming around. I was going to ask,
0: what did you think of the Zoom shows?
1: There's, st- I don't like them. Like they're, <laughs> just because your cadence is so off. Yes, and you, it feels like you're presenting instead of just talking, and I don't like that. And I, I'll do like a um, like an open mic on a Zoom every once in a while that has feedback because I really think they are some good places to get some tags. Oh yeah. Because there was there's a a joke I have where a guy uh gave me a tag the other night and I was like, "We'll try it and see if it works." And it did re- really well. The joke is uh I'm from such a small town in northern Minnesota that even the post office had a Bud Light sign in the window.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: outside of it, uh, it said uh, please stamp responsibly. <laughs> and I'm like that was a funny tag. So I just threw it in there Tuesday night at House of Comedy and it did it did well. And I'm like, well that was worth my 45 minutes sitting on a Zoom, but for me to like go into a corporate gig or something on a Zoom call, I'm like, dude, no no thanks. It's not mm-hmm. worth it. I just no. it's, yeah. It, I don't need it that bad. You know, it's yeah. not like I need the money that bad. Luckily, I'm in a place where I don't have to be doing these things. So, but yeah, man, you know, like now I'm just, I'm so glad because when I was, when I was. Uh, well, but I mean, when you were a
0: kid, I mean, what was, I mean, did you watch stand-up specials? Like, oh. was there an affinity for comedy at a young age or.
1: Yeah. In fact, when uh, sixth grade, eleventh 11 years old, I won the school talent show with a stand-up act. No, fifth grade. Uh, Fifth grade I wanted with a stand-up act. All the material I lifted (laughs) from A&E's Evening at the Improv.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Because I didn't know... I didn't know what lifting was. I just saw these guys on stage telling jokes, you know, and I'm like, what, 10 years old, 11 years old? Yeah. And it is like, it's crushing good material. (laughs) So here I'm like stealing all these jokes. I'm writing them down. And one of the jokes I remember, because this was like 91, 92, and one of the jokes I vividly remember, it got a huge response. It was so funny. And, uh... Because Desert Storm was going on at the time, okay. So yeah, remember the Gulf War, Desert Storm. Yeah. And this guy told this joke, and he goes, uh, he goes, I don't think it's fair that we just send like young kids over to fight wars. What we should be doing is getting the people who work at Disney World, who are already lugging around giant costumes all day, they're already used to taking all those packs. I mean, wouldn't it be hilarious to see fifty thousand Goofies coming out of a sand dune? <laughs> That joke crushed in northern Minnesota. <laughs> totally lifted. Nobody ever said a word except for afterwards. Uh, afterwards, when like they, they made the announcement and whatnot, my principal came up to me. Mrs. Perry came up to me, and she said, I want to say congratulations. This is like after everybody cleared out and whatnot. She said, I want to say congratulations. That was really funny. Uh, I think you have a bright future in stand-up comedy. <laughs> However, I question where you got your jokes from. <laughs> And I remember just like walking away, just being like, "Bitch, I got him from A and E's. Even the prove up, <laughs> get off my fucking ass, God, shut up, stop it." It was amazing. Shut up. But I didn't know anything about like you're not supposed to steal. What jokes. was it
0: called? Um, uh, like when you would give a report, you had to cite your um... references. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Why did I just come back with like a page of references? You know, like, yep. No, I stole this from A and E's. Even the improv. You know, yeah. This are, episode, this date.
0: These are proven jokes. They've been peer-reviewed.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What we, the Writing? That's ridiculous, you know? So, but yeah, after that, man, like, and especially being up there, there's no open mics. There's no mics. Right, I mean, yeah. From what, I mean, the only thing I really knew was what I saw on TV. I
0: mean, you know? you'd have to, at that time, uh what, you'd have to go to
1: Duluth? Maybe, maybe. I mean, I don't even know if Duluth would have something like that. And especially in that era, you know, the 80s, early yeah, yeah, 90s. yeah, yeah. I don't even know if they would have had something. So yeah, there, I mean, it was pickings were slim, man. So yeah, it was just. Uh, but I always like to perform, you know. But up there, especially with like my upbringing, you know, it was, you know, if you're uh, if you if you do the play, you're a sissy. Yep. You know, like that mentality. So I played sports and I was awful and I hated it. <laughs> I just I hated it so bad, man. I but you know it was. I remember asking my mom once. I'm like, can I can I take guitar lessons? Because I think I'd much rather do that than play football. And my mom had said, well, guitar lessons are you know, $20 or twenty a week, and you're gone for an hour. And football is $25 for the entire season, and you're gone for three hours a day for six weeks. So you tell me which one I'm going to pay for. <laughs> and I was like, all right, well, I guess we're playing football then. So, yeah. But, I mean, luckily, man, like I, I kind of figured it out. And it was around the age of, like, 16, I thought, like. Snowboarding guitaring yes yeah you know, doing all that stuff like that's that's the type of stuff that i I should really start getting into and that's where I started to like really veer off and sort of be- and then I, I went to uh I went to the warp tour mm-hmm. I went to warp tour 98 oh my God and it was with it was the warp tour and the Ozfest combined same venue Somerset Wisconsin float right amphitheater i was 17 at the time i think drove down there with these two girls we stole my sister's car (laughs) and went down and the night before the smashing pumpkins were playing hennepin avenue and it was awesome so we went and saw that and then stayed at a frat house at the u of m now mind you i'm 17 (laughs) i have no business being there right and these girls i was with i think were 16 they have no business being there but like our parents were just like you know free range, go, go do it the fuck you want. Whatever, as long as as <laughs> as long as I don't have to pay for it, I don't care what you do. So we went to that and the next morning went there and then when, uh, there was a few bands I wanted to see. There was like, no, I th- I can't remember, I think it was No Effects, No Use for a Name, Deftones. Um, at the time I was like really into Save Ferris. Okay. So like that whole ska punk era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember uh, uh, on Ozfest it was, Seven Dust and uh, Megadeth, Limp Biscuit before Limp Biscuit became whatever the hell they turned into, yeah, but like yeah, yeah. they were still cool because three dollar Billy All had just come out. Oh, like man. that record is, I still stand by that record. I take a ton of shit for it, but I love it. I still love it. I love everything about it. I still listen to it. Um, and then, uh, but then when I was uh, there was a band that was coming up on the second stage. And we had just left. We caught Deftones. We were walking back to the, the Ozfest portion of Somerset. And when we walked down there, they dropped this banner. And the banner just had a huge symbol on it and it said Snot. And I was like, who the fuck names their band Snot? <laughs> and they, they walked out on stage and I've never seen anything like it. And now I am 41 and on my way driving up here, I listened to the entire Get Some record and i still love it and everything about and that is a band that is like their lead singer died in 1998 uh everybody at some point has had a close death uh has had maybe even themselves have uh, been on the the table for 3 4 minutes having to like get, you know the, the paddles oh, on them everybody is sober everybody is and they've tried to like get the band back together it just doesn't work right they've tried with new lead singers and stuff but if, i'm telling you like a lot of people t- give me shit about my favorite band being Snot. Like, Who Dude, would ever I remember to hearing that? about Snot. But,
0: That's so crazy. But yeah,
1: and those guys, and especially Sonny Mayo. Uh, he's a guy to just look up. Sonny Mayo is their guitar player. Was I think he, liked, he was their second guitar player. And uh, he started out in Los Angeles. Well, Santa Barbara, actually. He started this nonprofit that is uh, all about getting musicians sober and then helping them get on their feet. Mm. It's it's and he's a great dude. I met him in uh, in Hampton Beach. I was uh, working a show in um, New Hampshire, and his band. He was playing in a band at the time, and he walked in, and I I knew him right away. And he's like, "Hey, how's it going, man? My name is Sonny. and I was like. I know who you are. I know who. I don't really know who you are. I'm such a fan. He was like, oh my god. It was. It was the people around me are like, Jesus Christ, fan girl. Bring it down a little bit. I'm like, you guys don't understand. Like this guy's amazing. You know, and he's just like a dude, in just like a pair of New Balance shoes and a T-shirt. Like he's he doesn't consider himself a rock star. But uh, yeah, but I lo- but that really like changed when I saw like what that could be. I was like, wow, man, this is so cool and so fun. And that's what like kind of geared me into rock radio, and that's what started putting me in, you know. And now like I still like to visit it, but I don't know, man. I'm so kind of so burnt out on just like.
0: Well, yeah, yeah. I mean that's it. That's like um, anybody who hosts a, one of the Tonight shows. Um, I remember Seinfeld saying, "Let's let's see how long we can put them behind this desk before they crack." Like yeah. it's basically the formula. Like, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> how long can we write it out until they? fucking hate themselves or self-destruct like
1: yeah i always you know i have a problem with not bailing out of things soon enough
0: (laughs) that's so funny i'm the same way
1: (laughs) like i'll I'll, you know my last job i was there for seven years and i should have left after year number three you know i, I knew i should have what was I, the last job i was a producer on a morning show here in town in, in minneapolis and i knew like after about year number 3 i'm like this isn't going to go anywhere <laughs> like this is this is it this is as far as i'll ever go so yeah. i should really like try to think about my next move and just because you know you got kids and it's a good job and you're making money and you're just like oh, fuck it i'll just stay here but you're miserable yeah you know and it's not helping you know you're not helping yourself you're not helping the people around you You're just there. You're just filling space. And that's you know, I think about um, House of Cards. Yeah, the show on Netflix Uh in that first episode And you
0: wanted to molest teenage boys. I did it. Not so much. Oh no. You know, not oh. down that
1: route. I mean, don't get me wrong. Uh oh, but, but, you yeah. know. Yeah.
0: Same, same direction, different paths. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah.
1: Uh, but uh that uh, that that girl, I think her name was Chloe Barnes on the show. She has an interview with this woman who's like, hey, just leave this newspaper and come work for us. Come mm-hmm. work at this like online newspaper because we're so much more in depth and we're we're moving and we're shaking, and you're just stuck at this paper. And the lady goes, I would love to, but I don't know, I've been here for so long and like, I'm finally making a couple of dollars. Like, I don't know, I just I feel good, you know? And she's like, how long have you been working here? And she's like, five years. And she was like, honey, why would you ever work a job more than two years? Mm. Move on. Like, w- get what you need from it and get out. And I was watching people around me, like, in a different department. These kids were showing up at the age of, like, 23. And they were getting these, like, decent jobs where they are like, you know, they got, like, six, seven people underneath them that they're that are working underneath them. And... They are packing up in 18 months and going to get an even better job than the one they had. And I'm like, what am I doing just sitting here? (laughs) You need to, like, figure it out, man. I wish somebody would have told me, like, dude, when you're sick of something, do it for another, like, nine months and then get out. Figure out what you need to be able to get you to that next place because if you're just going to sit here and do nothing, like, there's no point. Like, what a waste. What a waste of time, you know? Yes. I mean, luckily, I look back on those years and I'm like, that- that three to seven year mark, I learned a lot and I started doing things. You know, they say like, if you're working a job and you hate it, start to just do stuff that you love and maybe that'll become your job. Mm. And I started, that's exactly what I started doing. I started doing more videography work. I started doing more graphics work. I was going to say, I'm,
0: so I have so many fucking questions for you. <laughs> this is so much fun, but I, I do want to know about the the videography stuff too, like yeah. how you ended up getting into that.
1: Yeah. So what happened was uh, we had a guy who worked at the radio station and we were shooting all these videos and the guy was like, he was, he was sort of like the full-time videographer for us, but he was also doing stuff for clients and this dude, like, we were trying to set stuff up with him, and he's like, I can't do it that day. I can't do it Tuesday. I can't be there Thursday. We could do it Wednesday, but I can't do it until, like, two in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Well, dude, we're the morning show. We're out of here by 11. So it, it just wasn't working out. And I, at the time, had a Canon R. Oh, yeah. That I I liked, and it was fine, and it wasn't anything great, but it was fine. It did its job.
0: Is that the mirrorless one? Yeah, it was, yeah, it yeah, was yeah.
1: Canon's first mirrorless, yep. So I was like, I'll just film this first video, and I we just filmed it, and- I knew a a little bit about video editing. I wasn't as where I'm at now, but I knew some things. And did the first video. My boss was like, wow, that's really good, man. That's great. Like, you want to do another one? I was like, sure. So we wrote this thing. And next thing you know, man, like we're doing these videos. Most radio stations just like take a a phone and they hold it up and they're like, okay, Mm -hmm. go ahead. You know, it's like park and bark. It's just people just saying nothing into the camera. And we are, I mean, we're doing like, I'm writing like short films for this morning show. And I mean, we're literally doing like After Effects stuff where we have the hosts like flying through the air and there's like they're disappearing and they're doing magic spells. and We put the show inside of um, Stranger Things, The Upside Down. Oh, like, wow. We, we are doing all this shit. So it starts getting sent out to like other radio stations and other radio stations are seeing it. And I'm starting to see like people coming back to me, like other program directors and stuff like, hey, can you teach our guys here? how to do that stuff. And I'm like, well, to be honest, man, like I really don't know how to do all that stuff. You know, like I'm, I'm just doing it. Like I, I have no, I can't teach anybody because I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) And I kind of started getting a little deeper into it and I was still acting and I was still doing stuff. And I was realizing that me being on somebody's, um, like set was taking a really long time. And I'm like, man, I don't have this much. So I was like, fuck it. I'm just start buying my own stuff. I'm gonna start buying my own gear, so that way I didn't have to like be on set when somebody's like, "No, it's gonna take like 45 minutes," and then it's eight hours of your day. Yeah, you're yeah, like, yep. Oh god! So <laughs> I just started buying all my own gear. Twenty
0: thousand dollars later.
1: that's exactly where about we are at. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, I got uh, two DJI drones. I got uh, I got two Blackmagic Pocket 4Ks. I got a Ninja V. I got now it's just like you, you just end up out of nowhere you sort of look back and you're like, oh my God, like we're a full fledged production company that just like grew out of nothing. Just like one mirrorless camera. And now it's like, man, it's, I'm so fortunate to have had those last couple of years where I got to learn all this stuff because it's, you know, I mean, we shot all that stuff on Saturday with Ali Sultan. Uh, I, I've shot stuff for Adam Ray at Acme. I'm going out to New York in October to go shoot stuff for Jesse May Peluso. Like there's all these things that are happening because of this, like one aspect of my life that, I never thought I would ever go down. And, and and as many times as I'm like, man, you know, like I did the Monday Night Comedy show. I shot it the other day, uh, and I was like, you know, you do have to kind of like balance, because if you just do one thing, you'll always just be that one thing. Yeah. You know, like if you're just the videographer, you'll always be the videographer. Yeah. So you have to kind of be able to balance it out. But uh, I always kind of remember what uh, Mike Rowe had said about mm. like, hey, man, um, yes, follow your passions, but also follow what's paying you right now
0: because
1: that might go away and if it goes away you might not get that opportunity again yeah so yeah so that's kind of just where it came from man And i'm just i'm so glad that i've i went decided to just like go after that because you know the stuff that we're shooting now and the people that i'm meeting and just like the way it's all sort of like coming together that would have never happened had i not like developed those skills and worked really hard
0: yeah well that's reminds me so i started like Doing video stuff because of snowboarding and, and skating and like yeah. skate videos and stuff, and, and then I started doing interviews. So I was doing journalism for this rollerblading magazine, and one of the the dudes that I met that
1: almost sounds made up, by the way. Right? Yeah. No, Where was that? That was from here in Minnesota. <laughs> yeah. the
0: the The magazine is called One Blade Mag. It's like one of three, I think, magazines that were existed because rollerblading. Nobody thinks of rollerblading as like skating, like handrails and doing yeah, shit like right? that, right? Yeah. So it's very niche. But um, so because of that, there's not a lot of money in that industry, and there's all of these. It's so similar to the open mic scene. You could be the funniest fucking dude, but if you're shit to work with, no one's gonna want to have you host or you know what I mean. Like, yeah. There's all these parallels. So I interviewed this one skater who did graphic design too, and. He's as good as a lot of skaters, but there were some that were better than him, and people would talk shit and be like, how come he's getting on all this stuff? And it's like, if you want to get sponsored, right, you want all these things, there are, you could throw a rock and there's a hundred skaters that can do this trick that you want to see. But Stefan fucking does the extra work. So he's bringing stuff that's of value to the team. He's not just saying i'm amazing give me money for it. Yeah. And i think like i i would not be getting the stage time that i get and have gotten had i not done photography and shown that i'm not some asshole who's just trying to get stage time. Yeah. Like i want to elevate people. That's why like i love the the dude from MN comedy uh that website.
1: Oh yeah, Patrick Strait?
0: Yes. Yeah. Like he's not doing it just because he wants to get stage time like he wants to elevate people and i think similarly to you like you have that work ethic but you also recognize that if if you're gonna move forward you have to be flexible and dependable and like all of the things that you're saying yeah so if you're an open micer and you're like oh how come i'm not getting on these shows be a fucking Rudy. Like be the people who have more to offer in this day and age, Yep. because TikTok, YouTube, there's all these comedians that are out there. I mean, watching these YouTubers do stand-up, they're
1: awful. Oh, it's they're so, hard. so bad. Yeah. But they know like people will book them because they're like, dude, they have, you know, 2.3 million followers.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, if you have something to offer, that's when people and then you can't just have the thing to offer. You have to show that you are worth having around, and you're not going to be a pain in the ass. A
1: thousand percent. Yeah. A thousand percent. Yep. Uh, I look at the quality of stuff, like the people that I work for. I look at the quality of the people that are around them, and there's sometimes I feel like that's what lacks here in Minnesota. It's not. It's not the amount of talent. It's that nobody knows how to put that quality material together, and. I really think like being able to show people how to do it uh will take this scene and that's the that's I feel like that's the only one piece of the puzzle because I know people are sort of going through the motions and they're putting out content. Mm-hmm. I mean I looked at your stuff the other day, just from the Instagram, and just like the animations and all that, I'm like, dude, that's light years ahead of where anybody else is putting stuff out. Not a knock, it's just nobody knows how to oh, do it yeah, yet. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, nobody's trying to do it either, and I'm like, that's where that's what separates it. When I watch, you know, there's a couple of comedians that uh, uh, host a uh, podcast called, shit, I can't remember, uh, so I'm spacing on it, but like, their graphics and everything about it, it's so professional. When you see it, you just go, dude, even if their content is a little off, you're still like, <laughs> wow, this looks like they really got it together. And that's because they're willing to invest in, in somebody who knows how to do all of it. Yeah. yeah. And if, if you are willing to find that person or you yourself are willing to take that learning curve and learn how to do all that stuff, that is what is really going to separate you. And, and sadly, that's sort of where we're at right now. You
0: know. Yeah. Well, um, and you and I were talking about how South Park, like they, the graphics are not amazing. Like, no, you're
1: right. Yeah.
0: But if you just that visual, because like our producer for for Dude Absolutely, she she on purpose does shitty Photoshop
1: <laughs> to like
0: showcase these tier lists that she makes. Yeah. And I know how good she is at drawing and all these things. And it makes it that much funnier. You're like, yeah, like the, sometimes the fact that it looks bad. Mm-hmm. So for people who are like, ah, I could do it, but it looks terrible. Sometimes that makes it funnier. Just fucking do it. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think, yeah, there's
1: definitely an aspect to it. Um, uh,
0: but don't, that, but like to what you were saying, don't let that be the the thing.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Right. Um, there's a, uh, there's a, a, Group on Facebook that I follow, I think it's Facebook that I follow, and man, it is it's so goddamn funny. It's called Bad Comedy Flyers. And it is, it's breathtakingly hilarious. The shit that you see. Luckily, I haven't seen anybody, I haven't seen a Minnesota one yet. Um, but I've had I've recognized a couple of comedians on some of these flyers, but they're so bad. (laughs) Like they are absolutely terrible. It's like, dude. Just, I'm telling you right now, spend 25 bucks, go go to Fiverr, whatever it is. Find somebody who knows what they're doing and don't let your friend do this because it's so bad. It's so bad. You know? There has to be like a good balance, man. You're right. Cause like South Park has that terrible animation, clunky animation, amazing content. Yes. Right? Uh if your content is a little lacking, make sure somebody makes you look professional to help balance it out. Cause there's just like I don't know. Sometimes I just feel like you're just missing out on opportunities, like small things too. And I'm not even just saying like, it has to look like, you know, Michael Bay directed your, your, you know, yeah. your promo or whatever. Well,
0: David Harris, you know who that is? Yeah. yeah. So he taught me this thing. Cause when we started doing our own shows at Nordic, um, cause we thought it would be funny to make them look shitty and to make us look dumb. And he was like, no, 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 leave the self deprecating on the stage. You need to get the people there first. Yeah. So you have to have something that looks like it's worth going to.
1: Totally. Yes. I had this thought the other day that everything that you see, like a YouTube thumbnail, when you see that thumbnail, it is a th- that thumbnail is a thousand times better than the thing you're about to go watch. <laughs> and it's so true. Yeah. Every time you see one of those, like there's a there's a group that I follow, and uh, uh, they're like they're visual artists. And they got some good tips and stuff in there. I'm spacing on the name of them right now. But I see that their thumbnails are like phenomenal. They're, you look at it, you're like, oh my God, I'm totally gonna learn how to be able to transport like Rick and Morty. And then you click on it, and it's just like a dude like holding up a cell phone back at his face, and you're like, what the what happened to the, that thing? You this is supposed to be so good. And it's not. But it is uh, yeah, man. It's it really and and I think just some of the small things too, like captioning your stand-up clips. Mm. What's it going to take you? You know, if you're smart about it, and you know how to do it. We uh, don't need you don't need to post a seven and a half minute clip. You need forty seven seconds. Right. You need to keep it under a minute. You need to keep it square. You need to learn all these small little things. Caption that clip, and you know, learn how to get into it, where to cut it. Learn that on the backside. If you can put like a small little button on there that has all your information or a call to action. All that, that, those little tiny things make a big difference because if you really want to sit, not to get into a whole thing about social media growth, but the reason why you caption it is not so much that you want people to sit and watch that entire clip and read everything. What you want them to do is scroll up through Instagram and when they get to your video, they see those first couple of words and they stop. Yep. Because that's really what Instagram wants you to do. If you sit for just a moment, they want you to keep rolling. Instagram's thing is keep rolling. But if you can make somebody stop for like three seconds, the next time you post a video, they will take your content and throw it out a little bit more. Yeah. It's almost like a reward system. So just getting people to stop for just a moment is enough to like be able to spread your message or whatever it is that you're trying to do. So don't look at it as like, I need to do this so that people will be able to get to my hilarious punchline. <laughs> and you're like, no, 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 you just need them to stop for three seconds. Now, if they make it to the end, phenomenal, and that's great. I would much rather have somebody stop for three seconds and then keep rolling because then when I do put out that flyer or I do put out that promo that's like, hey, we're doing a show at House of Comedy tonight and tickets are 15 bucks, come on by. And then they see that. Then they're like, okay, now I need to go to the show. So that's kind of why if you can kind of get into like that mindset of you're doing this to help build the thing that you really want to do. Yeah. you know, Give your podcast out for free. But every time you do one, make sure you drop in a, hey, I'm going to be at this place or this is where you can buy my merchandise or th- use it as a vehicle to help move that stuff along. and. Just these small little things that gets like frustrating sometimes. It's when you, so yeah. funny when you say that
0: because <laughs> I did subtitles for a while, but because and it's funny like I I grew up, uh, well, not grew up, but like when I was doing video editing before, it was with Sony Vegas, which yeah. it was good, but it, so many fucking problems with uh, that program. Yes, I agree. I'm using Adobe Premiere, and it's so funny because the vernacular is like. These things that hold me back, and I could. It would take me if I spent 20 minutes, right? I forget who said that, but they're like, just if you just focus 20 minutes on one thing, you're already miles ahead of whatever the fuck.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I need to just fucking do the subtitles again because yeah. you're absolutely right.
1: Well, have you seen the new version that they have with all of it that automatically do the oh, you need to update, you need to oh update your Adobe Premiere, update your Adobe Premiere today, <laughs> it is the best it's well a- i I just did I have the 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 okay, okay, so afterwards, fire this thing up and I, <laughs> I- all
0: that nerd stuff aside, right, yeah,
1: oh yeah, no i I'm telling you, man, like once you start going down this route, oh, you're not gonna you <laughs> have so much time, oh my goodness, okay, I am so.
0: I am dying to know, obviously the the geek in me is is dying to know how you ended up like with Adam Ray and Jessime and 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 all of that stuff.
1: Uh, don't ever be afraid to shoot your shot. Okay. Ever. Doesn't matter what it is. I, always, no matter what, if you feel embarrassed. In fact, uh, I was telling this story last night to somebody about uh, speaking of Adam Ray. So Adam is, uh, Adam's a comedian, been around for a long time. Adam is on NBC's young rock. He was on mad TV. Um, he was in Los Angeles at the comedy store one night and there's like 10 people it's a late show mm-hmm. paul mccartney walks in sits down right before adam goes on stage somebody goes hey man paul mccartney's out in the crowd and he's like bullshit adam steps on stage and sure as shit like 10 feet in front of him there's paul mccartney <laughs> adam gets off stage and as he walks by paul mccartney goes uh goes uh, young man take a seat have a drink and adam's like fucking you bet your ass so he sits down he starts bullshitting with him for a little while they watch the rest of, rest of the show Paul McCartney stands up and he's like, he's like, he's like, well, nice to meet you. And he's like, nice to meet you. Oh my God, this is great. Thank you so much. Starts walking out. Mark Saratello looks at Adam and goes, dude, what the fuck are you doing? You have to go ask him to be on about last night. Oh. And Adam's like, oh my God, shit. Yes. So he runs out in the parking lot and there's Paul McCartney getting into this black like escalade and he's like, uh, Paul, Paul, you know, hey, hey, hang on one second. And Paul's like, yeah, can I help you, young man? And he's like, <laughs> oh fuck. He's like, listen, I got this podcast. I know, I know you're busy, but if you wouldn't mind, could you can I just get like 15 minutes of your time? And he's like, Oh sh- I hate to tell you, we're going to Ireland tomorrow. And he's like, Oh fuck. He's like, listen, wherever you're at, We'll come and see you. We'll bring all the mics. We'll bring all the equipment. We'll just have it all set up. All you got to do is walk in, throw the headphones. And mid-sentence, Paul McCartney puts his hand on his shoulder and goes, it's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> but I love this story about trying. <laughs> so to get back to how this all started to unfold was, uh, it's not going to happen. Uh, I was a fan of Adam Ray's just watching him online. And I saw he was coming to Acme, and he does – about last night, and he's always doing videos, and he's just, he's such a, you know, he's a content machine, Mm -hmm. and I, uh, I just shot him a message and went, hey, man, I know you come to town, I got video equipment, I got audio equipment, if you ever need, please let me know, I'll give you a hand with whatever you want, like, ten minutes later, this dude shoots me a line, and is like, you want to come to Acme this weekend and shoot all my shows? Sure. I got on to Acme that weekend, Thursday, Thursday night, two shows Friday, two shows Saturday, uh... I sent him all the footage. He goes, uh, he goes, hey man, Um. you know, would you mind cutting this up into a couple clips for me? I was, sure. So we started like-
0: were, were you running all of that by yourself too? All of it by
1: myself. Ooh. Yeah, all of it. And that's why like I did Ali's show on Saturday because in New York for Jesse May, uh, Jesse May, Jesse May, <laughs> I have to go, uh, I have to do all that by myself. And that's like a- big production that's like that's three cameras one gimbal one 360 two pieces of audio like it's a fucking me- oh my god <laughs> so uh so i go down there I, I do the shows adam says can you make some clips for me i said sure i said what do you want to do about captioning and he's like he's like i've heard you should do it and i'm like yeah you should and he's like sweet you want to do it for me so he kind of just you know sent me some clips gave me some timestamps. i did the clips next thing you know man like we're almost three years deep of me like putting together about last night for him. Um, I've been uh, doing all of his um, uh, like all of his captioning for his clips, all the stuff that he puts together for like um, just like Instagram, you know, short minute long vignettes, funny stuff, Mm -hmm. impressions. He just shoots it on his iPhone, sends it to me. I run it through Adobe Premiere, do all that stuff. So then after about two years of working with Adam, he drops my name to Mike Henry, who is the voice of Cleveland Brown. Yeah, okay. Yeah, from Family Guy. And Mike contacts me and he's like, hey, you know, I got this show I'm going to start doing. Could you help me out with some graphics? So I start helping him out. And then I do a good job for Mike. And then Adam's like, hey, appreciate it, man. You know, um, I got this gal who's also starting to like get her podcast off the ground. Could you possibly help her? Jessie Mae Peluso calls me. She's like, you know, I got this podcast, Sharp Tongue Podcast. That's been about a year and a half I've been working on that for. Um, I'm going out there to New York to go shoot her stand-up. And then also she just started a podcast with Carly Aquilino uh, called Girl. So I'll be going out there shooting those shows. Like she's super generous with her time and just said, uh, hey, while we're out there, if you're going to be there, you want to get up and do five in front of us? I'm like, fuck yes. Like, My God, are you kidding me? Like I just did I just did an, a mic in Mankato at a VFW. and the next <laughs> night I'm going to be at city winery in New York. Yes, I would love to take that opportunity. Thank you. <laughs> and then uh, and then, after I was working for Jesse Jessime for about uh, a year or so, uh, I get a phone call one day and Adam goes, Hey man, uh, I got a buddy of mine calling you just to give you a heads up, probably later today. I was like, All hey, right, not a problem. I get this phone call. I look, it's from California. I'm like, This must be the dude. And it's funny because Adam has like hooked me up with dudes before, like right when he got this uh, Young Rock gig, uh-huh. he called me and he goes, Hey, I got a friend of mine who needs like a couple graphics. Do you mind helping? And I'm like, I'm like Fuck yeah. I'm like, Just out of curiosity, is it Dwayne The Rock Johnson? He's like, No, it's my gardener, but fucking. <laughs> Ah. settle down okay i was like "I okay no problem so uh so, so then he says yeah i got this dude calling i'm like great so phone rings i pick it up guy on the other end goes uh i said yeah this is rudy he goes rudy dana carvey and i just man lost it i was like you gotta be fucking shitting me i was like when what planet do i get a chance to talk to this guy and then dana said something that just like blew me away he goes um It's so good to hear your voice. I was like, my fucking family doesn't speak that sincerely to me, man. So he's, I'm on the phone with him for like 15 minutes. I'm kind of explaining what I do. He's like, we got this new podcast called Fantastic. I was wondering if you might be able to help me with it. I said, absolutely. Um, I get off the phone, man, and I'm like freaking out i mean just like my childhood hero just contacted me right i'm just like oh my god so i'm like i'm calling my brother-in-law and of course i call him and he thinks like i just like you know ran over a dog with my car <laughs> and he's like whoa settle down dude he's like, bring he's like what happened i'm like i was on the phone with dana carvey It's like <laughs> like, Dan, like the dana like i'm like the dana carvey and uh yeah it's been a good run man like those guys are so he did like the first like 30 episodes of that podcast that I did all the um, post-production content for, like all the clips, all the YouTube clips, all the captioning, all the graphics. Um, And it's so funny to talk to him because, you know, it's Dana Carvey, but he's just mesmerized by the little things. Because when we talk to him, he has like a piece of yellow paper in front of him and both sides covered in notes. And I'm like, that's why you are who you are. Yeah, You're Dana Carvey because... You're willing to sit down at your age and at your place on this pole. You're so high up there, but you're still willing to sit down and take two hours worth of notes before you even podcast, before you even get into it. He's got all these jokes, this and some stuff he'll never use. You know, so oh you're, my on God. A, you're on a Zoom call with him, and he's pitching you jokes, and you're like, what? "How? Why are you pitching me jokes? <laughs> I don't know what to do with these. They're so and he's so fast, and he's so quick, and he's just so nice, but." Every time we, we have these conversations, he is just mesmerized by the small things. Yeah. You know, uh, when I sent him the first graphic of Fantastic, because Fantastic has an exclamation point at the end of it. Okay. The exclamation point jumps on the screen, and then when it bounces, it it has like a little ring, like a, you know. Oh, okay. And when I showed him that, he was just like, how'd you get the little exclamation point to move? I was like, well, you just, you make an exclamation point, point." and he's like, and then what about... It's, it looks like a little, it's like a drop of water. <laughs> How'd you do that? I was like, well, it's not, it's just a graphic and it just moves. He's, like, You just did it at home by your, on your own computer. Like, you, What kind of a computer do you have? I was like, I just got a laptop. He's like, you did that on a laptop? Like he's just so blown away. But that's like why he is who he is because he focused on this one thing and being super funny and that's all he does. And he's just mesmerized by the world. He's so curious about shit. And he just loves everything. So he absorbs everything around him. That when you I mean, we get off those phone calls sometimes, man. And I work with this dude named Dan. And Dan is like his YouTube optimizer. And we'll get off these phone calls and Dan will text me and he's like, I just I feel light in the legs when I talk to that guy. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, he's so fast and he's so funny. And he's just like, when you get he makes you feel like you're the most important person to him for that 10-minute Zoom meeting. And I'm telling you, like It's hard to find guys like that. Oh, yeah. He's brilliant. And he's, I don't know. It was, and I mean, on my deathbed, I swear to God, I pray that Adam Ray is sitting next to me and I just (laughs) go, thank you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. None of this happens, man. Like, I would have never left my radio job if I didn't have these things in the hopper that could help, you know, facilitate my lack of income now. I would have never left my job had I not known that doing these shows was a thing that you could actually make money. And all of that came from Adam Ray. All of it. Like I, I owe, my family gets a little perturbed because I spend so much time working on this stuff because they'll be like, Hey, uh, we're going to the twins game tonight. And I'm like, okay, great. And they're like, we'll pick you up at five. We're going to go down. We're going to have like a bite to eat and a beer. And then we're going to go to the game. And I'm like, okay, great. And they get to the house at five and I'm sitting on my computer hustling, trying to get a clip done. And they're like, we got to leave. And I'm like, give me 10 minutes. And they're like, we ain't got 10 minutes. I'm like, you got to give me 10 minutes. And they don't understand that I'm not doing this for the money. I'm not doing this uh, to like appease anybody. I'm doing it because I know that watching their ships raise is going to raise my ship too, and that's really what it's all about. Just keep doing it. Just keep getting after it. And the more and more that you can help other people, I think Danny Trejo was the one who said like everything in his life. Who's uh, you know notably one of the scariest guys in Hollywood <laughs> is also the sweetest man on the planet. He has said a million times, everything good in my life has happened because I've helped somebody else. Yes. And that's why I don't want people's money. Like When I go and shoot their shows, I don't want your money. You know, I shot a Monday Night Comedy show. Everybody who was at uh, the uh, Ali show on Saturday, they're like, can I just pay you? I'm like, I don't want your money. I don't want your money. (laughs) Keep your money. I don't give a shit about your money. Keep it. I'd much rather down the road uh, have you look at my product or somebody look at you after something I shot and they go, who did this? And you tell them- Uh and then they hire me to go and do this thing you know it's like working on spec that's the way i look at it yeah. it's working on spec so i don't know i'm fortunate to be like doing what i'm doing and i love it and i'm it's scary because you know like i'm leaving this radio job is a massive pay cut but yeah. oh, you're like yeah. you know what man like the 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 money will never bring the happiness you know like it just it doesn't work that way see
0: and that's i i think people get like success, like success and money twisted.
1: Yeah. We equate it and we shouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you feel like you at this point in your life, like I'm looking around this house and like where you're at and like, I'm looking around going, dude, by all, by all intents and purposes, this is success. Right. You're living in a house that you love with two beautiful kids and a couple of dogs and a beautiful wife and a kick-ass studio. Like... There, this, is, this is success. There are a lot of people that would look at this and be like, not enough. <laughs> Need more. And you're like, no, you don't. This is, this is perfect.
0: <laughs> but the funny thing, like the, the success that I like, like the things that stand out to me, like I, I want to be able to do stand up and I want to be able to do these things, right? But I mean, at the end of the day, most of the time, what I'm most excited about is these conversations that I get to have. Sure. It's these interactions and I love highlighting like you're more than just a camera guy. You're more than just somebody who does 7 minutes here and there, right? Mm-hmm. Like and I try so hard to highlight that aspect. Like when I see somebody I mean yeah, when I when I see these people off the stage being just fantastic human beings. It drives me nuts when other people don't recognize. Like I'll quote somebody's joke, and they'll be like, "Who? Who?" <laughs> and I'm like, "Dude, you got? How do you not know about this person?" Like, yeah, um, and then I, I also have this other side of me that like, it's like how people shit on Adam Sandler movies, right? It's the same cast every time, and I'll bring up that like something's coming out, and my friends will be like, "Oh, ugh, it's gonna be the same fucking formula." But I always think about what he said was like, I've gotten to this point, I don't have to work with anybody else. Yeah. I want to work with my friends. Yeah, I, I know how funny these guys are. Why surround myself and why do, a, like, he'll do his artistic shit like when he wants to, but for the most part, he just wants to be surrounded by his friends.
1: Yeah. And what's wrong with that, man? With, yeah, yeah. exactly. And it yeah. gives you a
0: new perspective for those films. Then you feel like, oh, I'm a part of this, like, I get to watch you just be happy, yeah, and that's incredible, yeah, so I love when i when i would like when we would do these Nordic shows, being able to see like a hundred people in a small town be focused on these guys for ten to fifteen minutes like feels incredible, yeah, and so like my version of success is just being able to be at a point to where I can still be a part of that and like watch. These people get highlighted, yeah, and it not be a detriment to my family.
1: Yeah, that's yeah.
0: really all I'm looking for. Yep, and you,
1: yeah, if you can find that balance, dude, that is that is success. Yeah, totally. Yeah, we look at uh, you know ma- the material possessions of things. And
0: I'm wearing socks with Crocs, man. Yeah, I don't give a fuck.
1: Yeah, that that's success. <laughs> we can get to that point in life, you know. It's that that's a real rich man, poor man, you know, like socks with Crocs.
0: I haven't said this in a while, but I I worked at a cell phone store. And there was this guy who was like heavy on commissions, like very cutthroat. And then he got fired because everyone fucking hated him. Like he was so horrible to work with. (laughs) And then he came back two months later wearing a hat and like not tail tucked between his legs, but a new understanding for what he was doing. And I was like, why, you know, I thought you had this other thing lined up and you didn't care that you were getting fired And he was like, um, I found out that, being able to wear a hat to work is worth $10,000 a year. And I was like, holy shit. And then he started explaining, he was like, because that means the person that I'm working for is okay with me having this level of comfort. Yeah. And I started thinking about like, man, I like money. There is a limit. I only need X amount. And as long as I'm happy with that, mm-hmm. then that's, that's all I'll ever need.
1: Yeah. Yeah, in fact scientifically they say seventy-five thousand dollars a year, you can't get happier. Right. Yep. Whether you make four million dollars a month or seventy-five thousand dollars a year, that's the limit. Happiness like has a cap. Yeah. It's right there, man. You know? One and is I would imagine that if you make more than that, more problems.
0: Ooh, you know what would be good? Like a good Midwestern shirt. Um uh happiness has uh A small admission fee,
1: (laughs) right? Instead
0: of live, laugh, love, get that out of here. Yeah,
1: right. I want that up on my wall. Happiness has a small admission fee. Put that in the kitchen.
0: Yeah, Sandra. (laughs) Dude, I could seriously talk with you for hours. This has been so much fun. If you're game to do this again, I would love to dive more into. I I thought I was gonna do like dive into the sad stuff, but the uplifting stuff is. Just as fantastic. Absolutely, I mean, man. Yeah. Love so to. um, so this will come out in about three weeks.
1: Sure. Perfect.
0: Um, do, do you know what you got going on in September?
1: Yeah. So uh let's see. So I'm not sure when this will be coming up, but September 9th, Uh I'll be a part of uh Twin Cities Film Fest for their shorts and shorts and stand up evening. Okay. Uh, it's at the Twin Cities Film Fest offices. Uh, I put to, I put out a short film for last this past year's Z Fest.
0: You know what? What's what's today? The, the 19th?
1: The 19th, yep.
0: Okay, we'll do this two weeks. Two weeks from now this one will come.
1: Okay, out. yeah. Okay. So yep, so then September, yeah, September 9th, that Thursday. Um, and then uh it is uh, the film that I'll be doing like ten minutes of stand up there, and then they're gonna show my film Raising a Daughter, which I put out for last this past year's Z Fest. It won the Louis Anderson Award for uh, Best of Fest, Best of Fest, Louis's favorite. I can't remember what they call it, but it got that. And then uh, it also picked up an award for Best WTF Moment. Um, <laughs> it was, uh, it was a good one, man. Like it was one of these weird things. Like I did this. Sh- we had a script, and then a buddy of mine I was supposed to make it with just like up and left. Okay, I moved back to California when oh. the pandemic was over. <laughs> oh, okay. And I'm like, what are we supposed to do? He's like, I don't know. He's like, just shoot it anyways. I'm like this is all written around you. Like you have physically there's things in this script that only work with a man, your size and your build. We have to do you. And he's like, I gotta go. So he splits. And, um, I was like stuck. And I had like, I don't know, 12 hours. Like the crew was showing up the next day or whatever. So I, I wrote this script, like literally like on a piece of paper. I was just like scribbled it out. I sent it to a writing friend of mine. I was like, what do you think? And he goes, when you got to shoot it i was like tomorrow morning he's like good enough (laughs) and it you know it took home two awards and i was like sweet you know i guess it was sort of kismet so uh that's coming out um like i said i'll be in new york coming up in october and then the rest of september uh nothing really too much man just kind of just getting out and just trying to do as many guest sets and mics as i possibly can but you know until then i guess uh just keep uh you know, goddamn, moving along. Plus I do my podcast every day. Oh yes. Yep. Podcast. It's called uh, a long walk to Cleveland. It's live on Instagram, 945 AM central time, just on my at Rudy underscore Povich. And then you can pick it up on Apple podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all Mm -hmm. that stuff. So make sure you
0: give me all the links for all of the things. Certainly make sure and throw them in there. Yep. Rudy, thank you again for doing this. So much fun.
1: Dude, thank you and, for uh, having me. I yeah. love this place, man. Great little It's very like very cozy and like very inviting and fun and so much cool stuff on the wall and
0: Well, I was, so I was just saying this the other week like I wanted people to feel like they were going into like a kid's room. Like Maybe, you don't have you, to feel like any yeah. expectations. You're like yeah. You know what I mean? Like cuz people will get dressed up to come and do this. And I'm like, "Come on. Look at me." Yeah, right. Like- yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I agree, man. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, I love it, dude. This is great. Hell yeah, dude. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate yeah, thank it. Thank you. And appreciate my dog.
0: it. And oh yeah, Paul, thanks for showing up, dude. You're Breathing fucking awesome.
1: Background.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, and to the listeners, thank you for listening. As always, subscribe, share, do all the fun things, and be well to yourselves.